Hello. Hello, everyone. I'm Ashley. And I'm Tania. And you're listening to another episode of Hugh I Do, the podcast brought to you by your favorite cousins on the bright side. Hugh-boos, welcome back to another episode of Hugh I Do, where this week we have a special Valentine's Day episode in store for all of y'all. So because essentially today is Valentine's Day, or if you're not listening to this on Wednesday, it's at least Valentine's week, and we're still in Black History Month. It just made sense for us to give you an I'll tell Hugh what I like that episode. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you Hugh. I like that. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we got a little crossover Mm -hmm. going Mm -hmm. on um, where today, basically, I'm going to tell Tania and all of you wonderful listeners a love story of one of actually the most revered, most celebrated, I think, couples in Black Hollywood, which is Aussie Davis and Ruby D. So I'm super excited to have this special Valentine's Day crossover love story episode for y'all. And so I hope y'all enjoy it as well. But before we do that, just want to remind all of you all to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, no matter where you're listening. And if you already know what I'll tell you what is and you haven't followed, definitely go do so. Follow us everywhere, wherever you listen to podcasts. And also know that we are on the tube of you, aka YouTube, at I'll Tell. So now that we got the preliminaries out the way, let's get into this wonderful, wonderful love story. But to start, Tania. Tell me, what do you know about Austin Davis and Ruby D? I know that they are legendary. I know that they are iconic. Mm-hmm. They paved the way for many of the Black male and female actresses mm-hmm. and actors of the world. I've watched their movies. And to be honest, I had no idea that they were actually married. Just because I don't really know a lot of the history from back in the day, but thankfully mm-hmm. through your podcast, I've been learning a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so I'm very excited to hear about their love story. Awesome. All right. Well, listeners, Hebrews, um, let us know also what you know or didn't know about Asi and Ruby D. But yeah, let's start. Let's start. So as you mentioned, They definitely are one of those legends because not only did they put in like seven decades of work in like theater and film, like big screen, little screen, stage, all of that. They also were very committed in their activism work. And so they were just pretty much like the epitome of goals, as the kids say, right? Their love story actually began back in the 1940s, which is like wild to say that out loud because processing that, that's like about 80 plus years ago. To start though, Ruby D 
by the time she met Aussie, she had already been married one time. She was dating this musician when she was a college student. He was basically like, I want to marry you. I want to like have a family. Let's have some babies, blah, blah, blah. And so she was kind of like hesitant about it. But her mom was like, yeah, go ahead, do it. Like you can get married and like still finish school. So she did that. But because he was a musician, they didn't really spend a lot of time together. Like at that time, she started getting into the theater. So he would be gone. She would be spending a lot of time with her theater people. And ultimately, that drove them apart. Ruby, I think it was towards like the end of 1944, asked for a divorce. The divorce was granted by 1945. And... Around that time, or actually after that, she was invited to audition or um, to be in this play called Jib. So this was a play about like the civil rights soldier or not civil rights. This was a play about a soldier that was coming home from the war and just kind of, I guess, like reestablishing his place after everything he had seen and whatnot. And so... With that, she was an understudy to the person that was supposed to be playing Jeb's girlfriend. So she had never heard of the guy playing Jeb, who was actually Aussie Davis. But she said when she saw him, she actually said, quote, he looked like a country bumpkin, innocent, good natured and not too bright. And perhaps just the kind of person with whom white folks felt comfortable because she was like, he's this tall guy. His clothes did not fit him at all. She was like, he was wearing clothes that looked like they were probably better fit for like a short fat guy (laughs) versus someone that's like tall and (laughs) lanky like he was. And so she would like, as they're rehearsing on stage, she would be sitting with like the understudy to Jeb and they'd just be making fun of him, just like laughing at him the whole time. And so eventually the person who was supposed to play Jeb's girlfriend was basically dismissed from the play. They then kind of brought up Ruby D to kind of be that gap while they try to figure out who they're going to put in her place or put in that woman's place. And then Ruby D basically stole the show. So they gave her the role. And so Aussie, when he kind of recalled her, he was like, his first impression was that she was like this little girl that looked like a teenager who had like long hair plaited down her back and these big eyes. And he thought that she was like pretty and attractive, but I don't think he really was thinking about her like that initially. It was just kind of like, yeah, this is somebody, you know, I work with. And so through their rehearsals, through the play and stuff like that, Ruby, who went from like basically sitting and making fun of him, was like, there was this one moment he was like adjusting his tie. And just to see him kind of like adjusting his tie for no reason, just like on stage put the hard eyes in her like <laughs> and she was just kind of like I guess kind of like ooh, like just seeing this guy like out of nowhere just deciding to adjust his tie was just kind of like mm. okay Miss Ruby okay okay hold on <laughs> it could be something here she said she felt like it was an electrical charge that flashed between them however Aussie didn't feel that same <laughs> energy initially but it wasn't like that moment happened and she was just like 
oh my gosh, we need to be together. And like, it's, you know, like a thing in the movies where like, ah, this moment happened. It was just like something, I guess, that clicked in her mind to see him differently from how she initially saw him. And so after Jeb was done, they went on to be in this touring production. So they were going all across the United States in this play called Anna Lucasta. Through being on the road together through like 1946, 1947, they got really, really close. Like Aussie in their autobiography said that he felt like being on the road was like them preparing for eventually what their like married life would be because they were just like together all the time. They were working all the time, working so closely together. And so in looking back, he felt like that time was very valuable because he was able to see and learn Ruby in different conditions and vice versa. Right. And so it wasn't until like, I guess, Christmas Eve. So I'm guessing this is like, Christmas Eve 1946 that they're like they're having like a little Christmas Eve party and it's like everybody that they were working with at like a bar or whatever and he said that they were like dancing all night like the music's playing it's like very festive and they're just dancing and then slowly the people start to disperse because it's getting late it's nighttime and they're still there just dancing and the next thing you know the sun starts to come up and they're just still there just still dancing and i was like that is a really sweet story i guess at that moment it just like a relationship evolved at some point even though ruby was like he was low-key kind of like talking to somebody that was also in um that was somebody that they were also like working with in the like american negro theater but eventually you know it was just them like she left Jeb to pursue like a film um, opportunity. He continued on because he was trying to save up money and they would write each other. They would send each other telegrams. They would call each other every now and then they get a chance to actually see each other. Then eventually he decides, I guess like, you know what? Ruby is Ruby's the one like, I, I just need to go ahead and just kind of like, I need to make this thing real. He then proposes, but he doesn't propose by like, oh, next time I see her, I'm going to like do this, that, and the other. He proposes through Telegram. (laughs) So he sends her a message, proposes marriage. And Ruby was like, and I was like, I mean, sure. Yeah, I guess it wasn't romantic. (laughs) Imagine just getting something in the mail that's like, you want to marry me? And you're like, yeah, imagine getting a text message or imagine (laughs) just getting a phone call and like, hey, we should get married. What? (laughs) That's exactly how I processed it. I was like, okay, imagine getting an email, (laughs) an Instagram DM that's like, hey, so um, you want to do this? Like, (laughs) (laughs) right, right. So, but I guess to just kind of like, That also goes to show, I guess, how people's mindsets were over marriage and weddings and stuff like that back then. So it was like, yeah, this is something we just want to do. Doesn't have to be a lot. Doesn't have to be a lot of pomp and circumstance around it. All right, let's just go ahead. So they go ahead. And because at that point or later on, they were working on the same play together. They had like a day off. 
And so um, in New York, it would you would have had to like, I think it was like a three day buffer if you wanted to get married. But like in New Jersey, you could go and get married the same day as getting like your marriage, your marriage license and all that stuff, I guess. And so they found a Baptist preacher that got married in like a church study in a Thursday afternoon. His brother was like his uh, witness. Her sister was hers. And that was it. And then they just like continued on. So they didn't have like a real fancy or like, you know, real kind of remarkable type of wedding. It was, as the doctors say, unremarkable. But it worked for them. <laughs> it worked for them. Girl, that's a so, word that we use. Unremarkable. <laughs> <laughs> it's Anyways, like, what you mean it's unremarkable? But no. <laughs> no concerns. <laughs> right, right. <The> abnormality. <laughs> right. But after that, of course, they went on to married life. So afterwards, so they get married December 9th, 1948. Sometime in 1949, Ruby was pregnant with their first child. By being pregnant, she was no longer eligible to be cast in this role opposite of Sydney Poitier that she thought she was going to have. She was really excited about it. Same night she finds out she doesn't have that. She starts to bleed, which ultimately leads to a really, really sad miscarriage story that she detailed. It was very, very sad. But one thing from that that stuck out to me is how black maternal health has been an epidemic for years, meaning how black women are treated as they are experiencing, I mean, black women in general that are pregnant, just all of the things that they experience throughout their pregnancy, where some, sometimes when they advocate for themselves, their providers and whatnot are not really paying them any attention or they are ignoring them. Um, yeah. Ruby immediately after suffering the loss, just throws herself back into work. She tells her agent, her agent gets her a role actually in the same film that she couldn't be in, I guess now, cause she's not pregnant. Hey, we found something else for you. You're going to play opposite your husband. So she's in that film. And they told her, don't try again, kind of wait a year. They didn't listen. And so they got pregnant and had their first child in 1950. So it was uh, about less than a year later. And then two years after that, they had their son. And about four years after that, they had their final child, Hosna. So two boys or two girls, one boy. So girl, boy, girl. One thing Ruby really had to adjust to after like they started having their family and whatnot, which I felt like was so real because of course it's something that women still experience today is I want to return to my career. I want to return to the things that I was doing. And so she said at one point she looked up and she realized that she was really jealous of the fact that like Aussie is going from like this thing to that one, like this play, this film, this opportunity, this one, next, 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 right? And she's at home with the three kids. And she's like, there was one time he was, I think she said like in Mexico shooting something and the bathroom has started to flood. 
And so, or the basement started to flood. There was a flood in the house. So she was like, she called him to basically tell him as if like, you're not here dealing with this with me. (laughs) You need to know that like, I'm dealing with a flood in our basement. I would do the same thing. Like, listen, (laughs) I'm going to need you to hop on a plane, come back. Because I'm taking care of your kids. <laughs> right. I'm taking care of your kids. Cooking and cleaning and here by myself. <laughs> right. But you, but you having big fun. You out here, you know, yes. your, your film stuff. But I'm at home dealing with all this. So mm-hmm. she said she got to a point where she essentially had to have a conversation with him. They had this interview in Ebony Magazine 1979 that I thought was just like really good in terms of seeing it from kind of a, t- from a today's perspective, because she said at one point she would like, cause obviously they both met in this mutual stage, this mutual thing that they appreciated, which is acting. And so She always wanted to be like, I want to act. I want to do things like I want to get back to that. But because she never said it and because Aussie never was like, hey, is this what you're trying to do? It was just kind of like a like, I guess there might have been some tension, not like tension, tension, but like some frustration because she wanted him to like say like, hey, no, this time you go do the project. I'll stay back with the kids. And he didn't. But until they had that conversation, they didn't actually see a result. So after having that conversation, he was like, also, my bad. There are some things I should have been more like, I should have been paying attention to. I should have been like reading between the lines. So they decided for him when, or he decided rather, like when I get these opportunities, I'm going to ask, is there a role for my wife? Like, can we find a role for her? Also, if there are opportunities where both of them can go, then let's take the kids too. Like, let's just, you know, so that all of this responsibility isn't just placed on one person. They also decided, yeah, they also decided to get a housekeeper to just help with like the household chores and things like that. So also wasn't placed on her. Ruby said eventually they got, I think like they had two people, I think either two nannies or like two housekeepers or like two folks that were able to just kind of help with them, but they never felt fully comfortable with just like leaving their children for months or weeks at a time without their kids really processing what was going on. So they said even when there would be moments where they would have to leave their kids, they would explain to them why they were leaving. Like, what are we doing? Why are we gone? And how long will we gone? So they know. And they had to do that a lot too when they had a lot of activism work that they were doing because they were also like really close to like Martin Luther King and their family or his family and Malcolm X and like his family. So there would be times that, you know, they just, they had to like be on the road and stuff like that. But there were also times too, where they realized like, Hey, sometimes we can't accept these roles because we don't want to keep taking our kids out of school. We don't want to keep dragging them all across the country, finding tutors, blah, blah, blah. We don't want to disrupt their life. So I thought that was really interesting too. Cause you don't really hear that a lot from like entertainers or performers. Like you may see like, Oh, mom's always on the go or dad's always on the go. And maybe not everybody's thinking this, but like, where are the kids? Like, especially when you know they have kids. So there were times that they would turn stuff down. Like there was this whole like play that Aussie had written called Pearly Victorious, which actually just went to Broadway. I think 
in September of last year. So it's like actively um, showing right now. Like the name of the guy, I want to say it's Leon Bridges. I I low-key feel like it's Leon Bridges that's playing like the um, Aussie's character. But basically they had the opportunity to like go on tour with that show, but they decided not to because they just didn't want to disrupt their children's lives, which I thought was very honorable too. Cause sometimes you don't hear that side of things too, where it's like, nah, we made this sacrifice for our kids. But in the, what could be kind of an idealistic vision or thought of Ruby D and Aussie's relationship also had times that weren't as great to help get them to what eventually was like 57 i think 56 57 years of marriage so one period in their life occurred in the 1960s and this is when aussie presented the idea to ruby to open up their marriage ruby was like Come again now. Aussie was like, I feel like cheating doesn't happen because of like just lust and wanting to do all this stuff. Like the the bad parts of cheating occur because there's been a breakdown in communication and people weren't honest and open with each other. And so he was like, let's give each other permission to sleep with other people and to entertain other relationships as long as. It doesn't get out. Don't nobody get sick from nothing. Don't nobody bring home no souvenirs. And this doesn't disturb our family. Ruby had to take time to process this, but eventually was like, I guess convinced on the, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If not, you never know type of like, so This kind of happened while Aussie, or I guess he presented this before like this film he was going to be working on that would take him away from home for a little bit of time. So he goes out there and there's this like onset nurse and he's like, we're flirting, we're having good conversation. I tell her, because she was a single woman, like I tell her, this is kind of my arrangement with my wife. And so through that in like having this like long drawn out conversation, I guess essentially it made it weird. And so what could have happened actually did not happen at all. So he was like, we just talked all night. And then when the movie was over, I wrote her a letter and thanked her for being just like a nice person. But he was like, yeah, it was just like really awkward and kind of weird. So yeah, nothing happened. Meanwhile, Miss Ruby. Miss Ruby? She was like, <laughs> oh, you gave me the opportunity to do something you presented this stupid idea to our family, to my, to our relationship, to our marriage? I sure am going to cheat on you. <laughs> 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 the funny thing is she was like, so her mom or the woman she raised her as her mom was not her biological mother, but like her mom essentially had left Her biological mom had left her dad when she was young. And so there were three siblings. And so this other woman who couldn't have kids, she falls in love with Ruby's dad. That basically, she's like, these babies need a mama. I'm going to be the mama. So that woman raised her. She was forever indebted and grateful to her. Her dad cheated on her mom. So... 
when Aussie presents this opportunity, she sees herself as like, I'm like them hussies my daddy was cheating on my mama with. But she felt like she was like having an outer body experience. Like this isn't really me doing this. Like I feel like I'm watching myself do this. Like I feel like I'm rehearsing for like a role in a play or something like that. So there was this guy, she didn't name him, but she said he was a musician with kids that was also married. And he told her that like he had loved her forever. He had always wanted to be with her, which you know she's married. So you've been just lurking and just pining, but I guess he com- he says all that. I think they have maybe a very quick affair, but she was like, I can't really do this. Like, this isn't really me. She was like, I knew whatever uh, adultery was, it wasn't freedom. And so through that experience, she was like, I really just had that affair because Aussie opened the door for it, but I ain't really want to do this. And she was like, would she start thinking about ultimately all the things she wanted in a relationship and a marriage, just in general and a companion? She was like, this ain't it. I wanted Aussie. Like what I wanted was Aussie. And so eventually that little open marriage era of their life, grand closing, because who are we fooling? But also they always had the understanding that this ain't going nowhere. Like this isn't we're opening this, but neither one of us are really going to leave each other. Neither one of us are going to, because I guess Ruby said, well, what if you meet someone and you want to be with her? And Aussie kind of flipped it back on her and was like, well, what if the same with you? Like, what if you meet someone? I'm just hoping if you want to go with him, you're going to let me come too. So it was kind of like, we're, we're not... We're not really like doing this to leave each other and to end our relationship. But that was just one of those things that I think possibly they had to experience and go through to really realize that they were enough for each other and they did fulfill and satisfy each other on a friendly level, on a romantic level, on a sexual level, on emotional, mental, you know, every level that you could really think of. Um, and I think that's another reason why they are that couple that like everybody celebrates, everybody places on that type of pedestal, because it's like, when you think of black actors and actresses or black couples in general, most of them divorce or they're not together through the entirety of the time. So you don't feel like you could say like, oh, both of them have been like in this for like a, an extended period of time. Like we don't have a lot of them and they're kind of like that first really visible presence also because they were, they came about of like their level of success grew in that era of time where some of the other black names, actors and actresses of that time we're leaving their black spouses for white folks. So she mentioned in their autobiography that she was really, really cool with Sidney Poitier and his wife, Juanita, his first wife. 
And because they were close with him, um, also she was really close with like Harry Belafonte and his first wife, Marguerite. But both of those men eventually left their black wives for white women and eventually left those white women for other white women. Well, not Sammy, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, and so she kind of felt a way about it. I mean, like granted, love them still love the women they married. But at one point I start looking around and was like, is this going to happen to me next? Because she was like, I'm just looking through like NCAA leaders, like a whole, like it was just a, era of people in this certain window of time where like they were all leaving their black spouses and marrying white women and so for them they didn't do that they were still together you didn't hear about any scandal with them you didn't hear about any like negative this that and the other with them like they were really a model couple even so much so where some of the younger celebrity couples of more of like the more recent era would even go to them for advice. Um, like Erica Campbell from Mary Mary, Will and Jada went to Ruby. Um, I think like in 2007, 2008. And so there were a lot of folks that would like lean on them because it's like, we've seen that y'all have celebrated decades. How do we get like this? And then also still be on the top of your careers. So when they celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary in 1998, they release their autobiography, which is a really good read. Um, Ruby and Aussie in this life together. If any of you want to listen to it, read it. It's on um, Kindle. Well, it's not on Kindle. You can buy the paperback, but it's on um, Audible if you want to listen to it. Um, so it's probably on other like audible type of platforms too, like maybe Spotify has it and stuff like that. But they celebrate their anniversary with the release of that book, but they also release or not release. They had this like big party, like a formal like event where they had like a whole bunch of celebrities come through to celebrate them. Uh, like Hank Aaron, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Lynn Whitfield, um, like Cicely Tyson, Felicia Rashad, Stevie Wonder, Maya Angelou, Bill Clinton couldn't make it, but he was one of their good friends. So he sent in like a video recording um, just to kind of like honor them and celebrate them and stuff like that. So they were just like that couple for sure. And so their marriage technically ended if you want to even call it that in 2005, when Aussie passed away, which I don't even really want to say it ended because the way they loved each other, I feel like honestly, their marriage is just like until, until not even the end, like, I mean, yeah, the end of time more so than just like when they passed away, he died in 2005 afterwards. Ruby was really reflective on um, her time with him. Of course, she continued to like work and she was still very active and whatnot. But she told, I want to say it was Essence Magazine. And I struggled so hard to find this article. But I remember reading it last year where she said that when she would like come home from projects or just come home and he'd be in bed, he'd say like, you know, like come to bed or whatever. And she'd take her time taking off her makeup and like doing her nighttime routine. And by the time she make it in the bed, he'd be asleep. And 
on the other side of that, when he's no longer there, she was just like, I wish I had those moments back where I would have rushed in bed just to like spend those extra moments with him. Um, Right. I thought that was so sweet. In 2014, Ruby passed away due to natural causes, but they were prepared for this. And one, as black people thinking about like end of life planning, that's not something we do all the time, but not only did they do it, they did it in a way that felt very true to them, but also was just like such a testament to them as a couple. So they got this urn that was larger than your average urn so that it could essentially have both of their ashes. So they said that on it is inscribed in letters not too big and bold and not too modest either, but it says Ruby and Aussie in this thing together. And I was like, that is just so cute. That is so cute. So now it's been, I think this year would make it 10 years um, since Ruby's passing. But yeah, now it is officially sealed. It is put away and they are together in their eternal resting place in one place. And so that concludes the love story of Aussie and Ruby. I love it. I love that they were able to be that couple that would help other couples down the line, you know? Yeah. Um, Especially those individuals that are, you know, well-known, like you said, Jada Mm -hmm. and Will Smith, um, Erica. Erica Campbell. These are things that you just don't know about until you read their autobiography. So, thank you so much for sharing this story with us. Like, hopefully, one day a movie is put out about their lives. Like, that would be yeah. such an amazing love story. And we really don't get a lot of love stories these days. And so, so I'd be, I'd be really, really interested in seeing that, but also reading the book as well. Yes. It was such a good listen. I pulled it up on Audible. I think it's like a five hour listen. So five, maybe six hours. So it's actually like you could go through it really, really quickly. I think it's only five chapters, but they just had such a fascinating life. Um, And I agree. I would love for this to like for their love story to eventually become a movie because I think to you don't see a lot of mature love stories that actually happened and you don't get to always hear about those that didn't end in divorce but maybe they did have a rough patch in their marriage but they found their way on the other side of it and it wasn't in a thing that was dragged out through the media so everybody has already formulated an opinion it's not something that was like oh well he had a baby by blah 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 he had a baby on her he did a this he did a that or whatever that like can sometimes like mark or kind of like scar the public's appearance but it's also a very like there is a relatability to it where it's like even though they're the ones that's like everybody places and says like they're this couple they were the couple they're very honest in the stuff that they went through and how they got through it and how they were on the other side. Because like, honestly, I'd heard about like, say the open marriage, 
but it was something that's not like known known right like when you hear about them that's not the first thing that comes to mind you got to do a little digging or reading to get to that but when i learned of it at first i was like oh i know it's because of aussie and i know they cut it off because aussie was jealous of ruby that could have been the case i don't really know in the book they say that Aussie actually wasn't the jealous type. Ruby was. So it really could have been the opposite where Aussie was like, no, nah, never mind. And Ruby just didn't even like the thought of like, I don't even really want to be with this man. I know I don't want you being with anybody else. So we need, we, we had this moment. We both, we both checked that box to just say, but realistically no it didn't work but i also like that granted they went through that experience they also shared it because sometimes and i understand everybody's relationships and everybody's marriages are theirs and what they share is definitely you know you have you discern what you feel is like what you want to share with others But for them, because so many people have come to them through the years, they were even mentioning how they would like travel to like different colleges or like different events and stuff like that. And people will always just say like, how have y'all like, what's the key? Like y'all been married this long. I want to know more. Like, tell me what's the key to a successful long marriage. Mm -hmm. I think listening to their book or reading their book really gives you that insight and It's just like, you can hear, you can hear how they love each other. Like just in how like they banter with each other, just how they communicate. It's just like, it it was so beautiful. It was just so beautiful. And I truly appreciate them putting that together and then just, you know, their story overall. So hopefully everybody that was listening today, hopefully y'all didn't mind this little, you know, special episode. We decided to give y'all if if y'all like this we may do more of them <laughs> down mm-hmm. the line but hopefully you enjoyed this episode definitely let us know next week we'll be back to our same old same old um wedding related conversations and whatnot but yes. yeah we hope y'all enjoy definitely have a very happy valentine's day valentine's week whether you're celebrating on the day later galentine's mixture we're not celebrating at all we're thinking of y'all and hoping y'all are having a great week so again if you enjoyed this definitely if you love love and love black history head to i'll tell you what subscribe to i'll tell you what wherever you listen to podcasts Find all the episodes on YouTube. Um, Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. And of course, don't forget to follow, subscribe, review. I mean, review everywhere. But Hugh, I do as well. And yeah, that's it. We'll see y'all next week. Happy Valentine's Day, y'all. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to follow us everywhere you can. We're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even YouTube. You can find us at H-U-I-D-O-W-E-D, which is Hue I Do Wed, or at Hue I Do Pod, which is H-U-E-I-D-O-P-O-D, on pretty much any of those platforms. 
In addition to that, if you want to know more about any of the amazing wedding vendors we've shouted out or any of the really cool wedding vendors we've had on the show as guests or just some awesome wedding vendors in general that maybe you don't know of, head to find.huido.com. There you're going to find over 600 wedding vendors that can help take you to your happily ever after. And no matter where you listen to Hue I Do, if you could, please leave us a review. It will help other bride-to-be's and other people in the wedding planning space find a podcast that speaks to them as much as Hue I Do speaks to you. 